Welcome to Attached, a podcast about the loved ones we're attached to and the good, the bad, and the ugly advice about those relationships that maybe we shouldn't be so attached to. We here at Attached want to share ways to enhance your relationships and debunk all of that bad relationship advice using science. I'm Dr. Patricia Robertson out of the University of Tennessee. I'm Dr. Jacob Priest from the University of Iowa. And I'm Dr. Sarah Woods at UT Southwestern Medical Center. Today, Jacob's going to bring us something shiny, pop and culture. It is shiny because it's new. That's a good word today. I'm, I'm mixing not it up shiny. a little bit today. It's not shiny. I was it's thinking. shiny. It's shiny and new. It's like the little newfangled thing I'm thinking about. <laughs> How exciting. Amazing that I knew hey. that. Then in the academic deep dive segment, we're going to discuss the academic article, Shifting Inequalities, Parents Sleep, Anxiety, and Calm During the COVID-19 Pandemic in Australia and the United States. So a little cross-cultural stuff here, kind of. And then in Good or Bad Advice, we're going to discuss advice from TikTok and Instagram. You guys mixing up the social media advice this week. I know. If you have advice that you'd like us to talk about, send it to us. You can email us at attachedpodcast at gmail.com. Tweet us, Facebook us, Instagram us at attachedpodcast. Or you can just go straight to our attachedpodcast.com website and send us a message there. We are also on YouTube. So please gently push that subscribe button. Hit that thumbs up like and follow us there for a video version of each of our episodes in season two. As always, please rate and review this lovely podcast if you like it. If you don't like it, you know, that's that's fine. We appreciate your opinion, but I don't know if you need to rate and review it. Anyway, it's going to be a fantastic episode. Looking forward to it before we get to all of that loveliness. How are you guys doing? I'm good. I feel like I owe our listeners, well, this is just because this is all that's going on in my life, an update on my son's developmental milestones. Oh, oh yeah, so sure. exciting! Yeah, yeah, definitely. Let's I mean, because that's that's the most exciting thing that happens around my house and mine. Your son's your son's <laughs> meeting his milestones is also the most exciting thing for me. So go. So, I have never seen like because you know I I have young brothers and sisters, but I don't remember this, and I have nieces and nephews, but I wasn't around for this. But the army crawl, right? So when they're like laid on their belly and they just move their arms. Keenan yeah. started doing that this week and oh. it is the best thing I've ever seen. Like, I don't think it'll like walking or real crawling will top it because he literally like has to, oh. he almost like turns over every oh. time he does it. And it's so cute. amazing. And he, oh. the only problem is now is he can go forward for the longest time. He could get up on all fours and then he would just end up going rocking. backwards. Oh, yeah. going backwards. Yeah. Oh my God, and then backwards but now he's like figured out how to go forward and it's really cute and i can't get enough of it Love but it. yeah that's what we've been doing is just taking a Watch lot of videos thing. and pictures of army crawls amazing you should put some like really intense background music to it and yes. post it Ooh. up dun, dun, yeah. dun, maybe not that i don't know that, we'll think about it i was thinking more of like mission it's impossible. the of the tiger oh or mission oh. impossible be a good one is that also rocky well i've never seen that movie why is that I music think, in my head i think you're picking up a few songs from that movie. yeah <laughs> i like it though sure well how exciting for wee man keenan to be army crawling i love it i know woods what's going on in your neck of the woods 
<laughs> oh, <laughs> Allah. Oh. <laughs> it was better that you didn't know that you said it and Jacob really enjoyed it. Oh, I like it. We don't have that much going on. My child has started air quoting horseback riding lessons. Yeah, it involves like learning how to be next to a horse and like brush the horse and clean the horse. It really just feels like we're paying for her to be farm <laughs> labor. <laughs> but it's also the You're only welcome. time we've been out of the house really in a year. So that's interesting. I always feel like I want to be an animal person. Like I'm a people person and I'm really good at like people relationships. I feel like animals should like me too, but horses are mysterious. They're very, oh. right? They're very, don't you don't think so? I feel like they're kind of intimidating. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Like they yeah, have there's like, evidence. Yeah, there's evidence to show that they can pick up on very subtle human emotions Uh-oh. too, right? Uh-oh. That's why they do equine therapy because oh, really? they help. Yeah, like equine therapy with people who've experienced trauma, like go to horses and the horses can tell when people are anxious, are maybe suggest- even before humans. Yeah, that's what I'm <laughs> suggesting. Maybe the horse is mysterious to you that is like, I don't want anything to do with this. And it's like not at making eye contact with you. Oh, guys, they took a real turn, <laughs> like a hard turn. Both of you turned on your therapist selves and like <laughs> just jumped right in there. Holy crap. So yeah, okay. So that's all that I've been up to is avoiding my horse therapist and <laughs> wondering if they're picking up on the fact that I have social anxiety now that I've been housebound for a year. Well, that's cool. That's cool. Thanks guys for helping me with my update. That's all I have. <laughs> Enjoy horse therapy. Yay. <laughs> Actually, so I don't really know if the research suggests that it's horses too late. It's too that, late. But... We can't take it back. So people who listen who are like specialists in equine therapy at me on Twitter. Droves. The droves of equine specialists that listen to this oh. podcast will flood your social media. If there's only even one who could defend me and just say like, oh yeah, they're large animals. It makes sense to be scared and you should be cautious around them. It's not about your internal anxiety and trauma. I mean, one of you. I do think we should, before we started recording, Sarah had to explain to both of us what the phrase, don't look a gift horse in the mouth, in the mouth meant. So I feel like she has more knowledge about horses than, than I do. So maybe I should just default and retract everything I said about equine. But it's too late. You put it out there. It's been recorded. (laughs) Now people have heard it and you can't take it back. Can't take it back. I kind of feel like I could lose tenure in Iowa for not knowing about horses. Maybe more so pigs and corn, but whatever. Jeez, what a stereotype a whole entire state. It's fine. No, I know a lot fine. about longhorns now Woo-hoo. because it's required to be able to live down here. <laughs> the horses were. I know a lot about Dolly Parton. Oh, Ooh. yeah. Well, that's true. The lovely, I mean, the magical, the legend. I mean, the, probably the best, one of the best people in the world, right? Like, Totally. The entire world. Keenan gets a book from Dolly Parton every month. Did you know that uh, project she has? I do. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's fantastic. She's been doing it for a a long time now, right? Like 15 years. She's amazing. Mm -hmm. Absolutely amazing. So I tried really, really hard to think of an update that didn't involve food. You failed. I have failed. (laughs) I just wanted to have a conversation about a dish I've been trying to make several times. And I think I finally nailed it. I have been trying to make a version of vegetable pot pie Mm. for no reason, except every once in a while it 
pops into my mind as something oh, that might be good. I also would like to note that I have not looked up a recipe. So Ooh, one of the what? reasons why I probably repeatedly fail is because I'm just like, sure, these are the flavors that go into it. Sure, this 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 should probably work. But you guys, I think I finally succeeded. Last night, I made a vegetable pot pie. It was delightful. It was delicious. Balance mm. the flavors well. Mm. And I've also done a hack rather than putting, you know, sometimes there's pie crust over the pot pie. Is that is it always there? I don't eat pot pies, but doesn't it always have a crust? I've, yeah, yes, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. But oh, it's yeah. a pie crust. It's a pie crust. Right, right, right. 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 Hack puff pastry. So you, you buy some puff pastry. Do not make it. Why, why would you do that to yourself? You wouldn't. No. And you, you know, make it come to room temperature and you just put the puff pastry on top. And then the puff pastry, it's this lovely, like huge little puffy loveliness of crust on the top. And then the underneath is, you know, the inside of a pot pie. Oh my gosh, you guys. And I, and I had some for breakfast this morning because there were leftovers and why not? And I think it got better overnight as, as it does. So I just, after probably five failures, I think I finally have nailed it. Now, I did not write this recipe down, so we'll see if I can replicate it. Um, Also, my youngest refused to try it, even try it. We we made him, the rule in our house is you have to try a bite. And he full on put it in his mouth and gagged. Like, so dramatic. So dramatic. I love it so much. Um, My oldest, my daughter said, you know what? Um, mom, because we were talking about how I think it's better and I think I'm getting, you know, whatever. She's like, well, you know what? I like this one. So I think that you did improve. It's like, oh, thank you. Oh, my daughter. Did you tell her that research shows that you <laughs> failed at the prior Popeyes because they can read your internal trauma and anxiety <laughs> and they will face of your mm-hmm. internal stress? Yeah. I like horses, right? Right. Yeah. Just like horses. I do. Yeah. I, I did tell my seven-year-old that, yeah. Actually, she told me that had, had I had improved, that she this could eat it this based time. on science. Yeah, that, that she could, in fact, eat it this time. So that must mean that I improved the recipe. Well, it's you healed yourself. <laughs> so I wish I could give you guys this recipe to this phenomenal vegetable pot pie I made. I cannot, but just know that it was good. First up, pop and culture. We learn about relationships from our friends and family, but a lot of what we think about love and relationships come from what we see in pop culture. So for this first segment, we always like to take a moment to highlight events in pop culture that influence people's lives and how we view relationships. As Jacob promised, this one is going to be particularly shiny. Jacob, take it away. It is shiny and and new and hopefully a little bit of a twist mixing it up for for the oh my gosh you are setting these expectations there. so high jacob so i'm excited for this one okay so um, am i so when i teach classes especially to undergrads i like to use music to illustrate concepts and important ideas sure. and i think during quarantine there's been a lot of good music around breakups Right. So if you listen to like Taylor Swift's folklore that has a breakup from like three different perspectives or most recently driver's license, you all heard that song. 
instead of Taylor oh, Swift. Um, no, no. Oh, <laughs> I I got my driver's license last week, just like we always talked about, because you were so excited for me to finally drive up to your house. But today I drove through the suburbs crying because you weren't around. Okay. Well, so hold on. I, I'm I'm just you. This is the introduction. Oh, okay. So, okay. 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 So, Sorry, I, let me let me take that again. Okay. Ooh, interesting. Go on. So today, yeah. I wanted to rank my top three breakup songs, okay. and right, and so I wanna I I I have some criteria that I use to rank these songs, <laughs> and I wanna see if you or the listeners out there have ones that should kind of replace the top three songs I have. If there's better options to Ooh. illustrate these concepts and these ideas than the three songs I use. All right. Oh, okay. All right. Mm-hmm. So we're going to start at number three. All right. Number three is Irreplaceable by Beyonce. Are we familiar with that song? To the left, oh. to the left. Oh, yeah, yeah. Everything you Everything own in the box to the left. Box to the left. Mm-hmm. Yes. And you know what? Just as a side note, Jacob, I use that also in my classes. Ooh, look. Same wavelength here. In my statistics classes to remind people that the x-axis goes from left to right because everything you own in a box from your x to the left. Woo! (laughs) So not only is this a good breakup song, but a good statistical song. (laughs) It's a great song to remember your statistics. Yeah, the reason why I like this song is not only because it is super catchy and, of course, Beyonce is amazing, but it also shows the importance of having a bottom line, right? If somebody is going to break the trust in the relationship, you just got to go to the left, to the left, everything you own in the box to the left. Or X-axis. Yeah, 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 yeah. Or X-axis. And I also like the idea, too, that she's illustrating that there's not a one and only person. We talk about this a lot on the podcast, right? Yeah. She's Because she, <laughs> she's Beyonce. She's like, um, I can replace you basically right now. So just leave and I'm going to replace you. I think later, maybe next season, I'll do a whole deep dive into Beyonce's visual album, Lemonade, because I think it's a different concept of uh, recovering a relationship out after an affair. But we'll talk about that later. So number three have standards, and there's not one and only person out there for you. So Beyonce is irreplaceable. Number two, Same Drugs by Chance the Rapper. No? No. I'm getting Blake stares back. You're asking okay. me. I mean, I don't no, know music I mean, TV. So I think that that sounds amazing. You have to know my musical references deeply involved. Nina Simone, The Beatles, Obscure Rock from College. Like, this segment is... I'm very excited about, but, uh, but I'm learning music. So this is exciting for me. Go on, All right. Chance so, the Rapper. Chance the Rapper. And I believe I have this correct, but so Chance the Rapper from Chicago uh, had a girlfriend for a really long time. They grew apart. And this song was in reference to that, right? And so some of the lyrics are, and it's really cool because infused within this is like owed to Peter Pan and him staying as a kid and Wendy growing up. So I, the chorus is, we don't do the same drugs no more. We don't do the, we don't do the, we don't do the same drugs no more. But the lyrics is, when did you change? Wendy, you've aged. I thought you'd never grow up. I thought mm. you'd never. Window closed, 
Wendy got old. It was too late. I was too late. A shadow of what I once was. Oh, it's a little self-reflection too. Mm -hmm. Right. So it's this idea that some relationships don't end necessarily because things are bad or right. Sometimes timing and where you are in the trajectory of your life is going to create context circumstances where a breakup is necessary, right? Doesn't mean you don't like the person, doesn't mean it wasn't a good or important relationship to you, but it means that sometimes you grow apart and letting that and understanding that process is important. Mm, I like that. I actually believe kind of full circle here, the woman that song's about, she and Chance the Rapper and are married and I believe have a daughter. So they grew apart and then they grew back together. Cyclical relationships, as Amber Venom, our friend and colleague at Kansas State University, would tell you, don't typically work, but yeah, in this case. When you take time to grow in that breakup and have some self-reflection, which it sounds like he did, Mm -hmm. you get back together and it does work out. I love that story. Yeah. And so, number one. And not only is this like... I think that this song can never be dethroned as the number one breakup song oh, of all time. Challenge, a challenge. One, yes, I'm throwing down the gauntlet out there. One, because the lyrics encapsulate the sense of heartbreak more so than I've seen in any other song. And also it's a song I always used to listen to whenever I, I was broken up with or broke up with somebody because it's just really amazing by the wonderful, incredible band Dashboard Confessional, Screaming Infidelities, right? So let me read you the lyrics to some of the lyrics from this song. I'm missing your bed, I never sleep, avoiding the spots where we'd have to speak, and this bottle of beast is taking me home. I'm cuddling close to blankets and sheets, but you're not alone and you're not discreet to make sure I know who's taking you home. I'm reading your note, over again and there's not a word that i comprehend except when you signed it i will love you always and forever only two more stanzas hang with me as for now i'm gonna hear the saddest songs and sit alone and wonder how you're making out and as for me i wish that i was anywhere with anyone making out so what i love about this song not only is that last line just such such poetry chris caraba who is recovering from a pretty bad motorcycle accident. So good thoughts out his way. What I love about it is it encapsulates this overwhelming sense of longing, hurt, pain, frustration, Mm -hmm. misunderstanding that often accompanies a relationship breakup, Mm -hmm. right? Like you want that person, you want to be close to them. They're also hurting you. You're trying to make sense of what happened. But at the same time, you just want to be close and connected to anyone. So yeah. like, I wish that I was any, anywhere with anyone making out, right? And so what I love about this breakup song is it illustrates the intensity of emotions we experience when we lose a partner and the sometimes conflictual pain that's present, right? And, you know, sometimes we talk about heartbreak. When we, and I I think part of that is because we just feel fractured and disconnected and don't really know where to go. Number one breakup song of all time, for me at least, Screaming Infidelities by Dashboard Confessional. 
I mean, this is I'm also biased because Dashboard is my favorite band, has been oh. since the early 2000s. You know, I'm a, a little bit of an emo kid, hence going into <laughs> therapy. But I I love using these types of songs. So if you have not necessarily statistical related songs, but if you have breakup songs or good relationship songs, send them to me. But they can't just be entertaining, fun to listen to. They also have to illustrate an important point. So Screaming Infidelities, Same Drugs, Irreplaceable. Shiny and new. Shiny and new. Fantastic. I will definitely have to go listen to some of those for the first time, like Same Drugs and Screaming Infidelities. How have we been friends for like more than 10 years, Patricia, and you've never heard Screaming Infidelities? I feel like that hurts my heart a little bit. Terribly sorry. I, you know I what? You know me. what? To be fair, thank you. I may have heard it. I just don't know. Sometimes I'm not good with song titles. I'm so excited to listen to them for the first time. Oh, I'm sure you are. I'm, I'm so excited. I'm not sensing any sarcasm in that voice at all. No. <laughs> now we're going to move to our academic deep dive segment and talk about a new paper titled Shifting Inequalities. Parent sleep, anxiety, and calm during the COVID-19 pandemic in Australia and the United States. Written by doctors Leah Ruppiner and Xiao Tan at the University of Melbourne, Dr. William Scarborough at the University of North Texas, and Dr. Leanna Kristen Landivar at Maryland Population Research Center, and Dr. Caitlin Collins at Washington University. I love this cross-state, cross-national team of researchers. How exciting. Although we discussed the impact of COVID-19 on single moms labor and social networks in December, this study is a bit different in that it examines the impact of the pandemic on gender roles in heterosexual couples. Recently published in the Journal of Men and Masculinities, didn't know that was a journal, very cool, this study specifically explores whether traditional gender dynamics which position men in power as breadwinners shifted in families as a result of the COVID-19 economic changes. Daycares closing, a move to work remotely and from home, and job loss as a result of the pandemic have also meant that parents have to take on quite a bit more at home, taking care of kids, doing more housework, doing more homeschooling or homeschooling period. There have been several studies now that show that fathers and heterosexual couples increased how much work they did, although not as much as moms who overall appeared to have picked up even more of the work at home and significantly more than dads. We have also seen an enormous loss of women in the paid workforce and women have lost more paid hours at work and exited paid labor altogether during this pandemic. You may also remember that the Department of Labor reported from December showed that all 140,000 jobs lost that month were lost by women. So the question that these researchers asked then is, did COVID offer an opportunity to equalize how men and women contribute to household labor in heterosexual families? Or did changes due to the pandemic reinforce traditional gender roles of men as breadwinners and women as homemakers? And the authors explore whether gendered shifts in labor are possibly related to men and women's health during the pandemic. 
very, very fascinating. We're looking at uh, kind of individual household dynamics overlaying these kind of social, cultural, and pandemic issues that we know are existing. So now, Sarah, it looks like they explored this question both in Australia and the U.S. Is that right? Tell us about what they did and how they found it. Yeah, so they used what they call a cross-national comparative approach. So these two countries, Australia and the U.S., have traditional gender norms that position men in roles of power and as financial providers. And they describe both of these countries as also having a women caregiver parenting culture, despite both of these countries also having dual earner work culture, Mm. which creates unique and different pressures for men and women that show up more traditionally in these countries in heterosexual couples. They use a nationally representative sample from YouGov panels of parents with childcare responsibilities from May and September of 2020. So May being the height of the first lockdown and then September being four months later. When schools reopened in the U.S., although obviously for families that has looked different in terms of being fully virtual versus hybrid versus in-person versus fluctuating and all over the place versus who even knows what school looks like. But Australia in September was under a strict second lockdown. What they point out is that the countries started in May sort of similarly in their response to the pandemic, meaning that in that month, the gov- both governments had initiated variations of lockdown. But in the United States, what was different was that there was quite a bit of political polarization. You, you may remember. And- you may remember. <laughs> recall <laughs> last year. Recall this year. Recall We might still be living in what they're, uh, what they're describing in this research, focused on really kind of states being responsible for making the decisions about how to control infection, really not a federal approach to doing this. And as a result, the authors point out that the American infection rates have been the highest in the world. And as of when this paper was published at the beginning of 2021, those infection rates were still growing. Whereas Australia had a really kind of unified federal and state messaging and policy implementation. So the transmission of the virus in that country has been very minimal. Their approach has just been really very different. Both countries they described have experienced though, uh, what they, they use the term a she session which they, they quote somebody else, they give credit to another author, but I just had I not heard that heard that. And I really think that's very clever. Someday I aspire to be clever in my own, my own research. And then <laughs> I'll come up with cool new terms, but she session being that women accounted for this larger portion of employment losses. So both countries, Australia and US could have had more entrenched, entrenched traditional gender norms because of women having to leave the paid labor workforce. They do approach the study from the lens of masculinity meaning that it's possible that job loss but not changes in domestic labor could increase men's anxiety, decrease their sleep, reduce how calm they feel, because that is the area and the zone in which they are traditionally held to be responsible in families versus it's also possible if the pandemic restructured gender norms and dads started to take on more housework and childcare, that could contribute to worse anxiety and sleep and 
just worse mental health. Although if we equalize gender norms, the authors pointed out that moms and dads might've had similar health during this crisis that we've been in. So interesting that they're, they're talking about this idea from how does this impact men and women differently, mm-hmm. given the norms of what we expect from dads and moms. So they had from this, these panel surveys, they had um, 764 Australians, 611 Americans. In May, it was about the same that 35% of parents who were surveyed lost pay or work hours or employment. And that was similar for moms and dads and in both countries. In September, both moms and dads in the United States reported a decrease in job instability, meaning there had been some job recovery since May, whereas job instability was really still steadily the same in Australia. And they asked, I think this is really important to note, they asked about change in housework since social distancing measures began. So parents were self-reporting how much less or how much more than my usual am I doing in terms of housework or childcare since in this COVID-19 existence. And then they tested how these changes, job change and domestic labor change was associated with their mental health uh, in the last week. So what they found was that in May, for both moms and dads in both countries, a large chunk of their sample reported picking up more housework mm. and childcare, but dads reported less of a change in how much housework they picked up with moms, but they reported picking up more childcare than moms even reported picking up. So for example, in Australia, about 60% of dads picked up more housework versus 70% of moms, whereas 65% of dads said they picked up more childcare versus 60% moms. Not Those are not huge differences in, in that example specifically, but the change in childcare being greater in both yeah. countries. It's just curious because we don't exactly know, and I'm sure you're going to bring this up, where they both started from, right? So we don't know. So this yeah. is kind of these, this change idea is a bit mm-hmm. relative because mm-hmm. we don't know if that increase in, in men's childcare work just made them more equivalent to what the moms were doing before or that they exactly. were equivalent before and now dads are doing more. We, we just don't know. It's, it's, just the change score. Yep. You're right. I think norms in both of these countries would suggest that moms do more of housework and childcare based on these traditional gender norms they're referencing, but you're exactly right. and, And that's a limitation of this project that we don't technically know what their baseline was because these surveys were specific to COVID. Right. Everybody picked up more. Everybody is doing more, but what does this look like in terms of how, how this shifts over time and right. within couples? So in September, what they found was that dads in the U.S. reported smaller changes in picking up more childcare and housework versus Australia, where dads still had smaller increases in housework than moms were reporting, but moms and dads had about equal changes in levels of childcare, meaning about half of moms and dads in Australia reported doing more child care. So it was at the same level and that hadn't really shifted over time. So in those four months, American dads started to pull back from how much more child care they were doing in that they might have been resuming some of this paid work that was coming back online in the U.S., in Australia that tended to stay the same. In Australia, they also found that job change and increasing domestic labor was tied to worse health outcomes for moms and dads. It was a little different though, meaning Australian dads growing housework that they were reporting that they were doing was significantly associated to greater anxiety and restless sleep. That wasn't Mm. true for moms. 
So moms wow. that wasn't a significant association there, whereas an increase in childcare was significantly associated with anxiety for moms and dads and worse sleep for moms. Job loss was tied to worse mental health for Australian dads, but not moms and associated with increased anxiety and worse sleep and less calm just across the board for each of their three measures. It was associated job loss associated with worse mental health for dads, but not moms in that country. So in other words, in Australia, dads were experiencing job instability and larger household labor, perhaps both of those things for the first time Mm. and experienced potentially as a result, we certainly don't know that this is causal, but they experienced worse mental health than moms who the authors say, given traditional gender norms, might be more used to both of those things, job instability Mm -hmm. and always carrying Mm. more of both, which is an interesting hypothesis. In the United States, this looked different. I debated about whether I was going to quiz y'all about how how this plays out for (laughs) for parents in this country. But greater housework or childcare burdens were not associated with American dad's mental health. More housework was associated with greater anxiety, worse sleep for American moms. For American dads, only job changes predicted worse mental health outcomes. Now, that association was also significant for moms. It wasn't unique to dads. It was just that the greater proportion of household labor was not associated with their mental health. Interestingly, the increase in childcare that they were reporting was not tied to health outcomes for like any of their American sample. So I just wrote a note for myself. It says, what, like what gives? <laughs> what, like what the, what the hell? <laughs> I am, um, is that true? <laughs> I mean, panel 611, I feel like you're all just liars. I don't, I don't know how to explain that. Potentially it's just the housework and the job loss that's drowning all of these people and maybe the other association just right. didn't come out significant. But that was fascinating for me, just personally. Overall, <laughs> so overall, these trends are finding in Australia, it looks like maybe only Australia, not compared to the United States. Did they maybe observe some shift in these gender roles? Meaning mm-hmm. dads had larger uptake of domestic labor and that held steady over these four months, but it also contributed to worse mental health outcomes for dads and their patterns were similar to moms in the US. Whereas in the US, dad's anxiety and sleep was only influenced by job loss. So their health outcomes are potentially more tied to their careers. Whereas for moms, their health was tied to work and family, which the authors suggest is maybe reflective of this kind of intensive, exhaustive experience of being a mom in these traditional gender norms and in American culture and just needing to excel at all the things. And so that can be really exhausting. So I think what's important to remember is not only as Patricia said, that there are limitations, certainly in knowing how these families operated pre-COVID. It's also not dyadic. These people are reporting on Mm -hmm. themselves, meaning these aren't couples. These are individuals reporting on their own changes in behavior. This national panel sample that they used is not entirely the same May and September, which is also a limitation in terms of how we analyze that. This is this is preliminary. A lot of this work remains preliminary. We have some more information coming out about what this looks like, but the research on the COVID impact on families is, is newer. So, I mean, in general, the takeaways, certainly I think our listeners could probably all empathize with, certainly, obviously I did once again, that there have been like really extreme changes in how our families operate in the face of COVID. In this study, it looked like maybe that's been especially hard on moms in the US and maybe dads also in Australia who are experiencing similar costs to their mental health. But also I want to point out that the last survey, the second survey in the study was in September. This didn't end in September. Yeah. Um, So this is, this is continuing. And their point is that the pandemic is maybe not going to be a catalyst 
is, is the word they use, which I really liked for reinventing these gender roles, especially <laughs> in the US, which means that it's going to end up falling to families to need to, in some ways, actively negotiate this and be, be having open conversations about shifts in paid labor, but also unpaid labor. And also, although that the study we talked about in December was different. I think some of the takeaways are the same in terms of needing to have much more meaningful policy and workplace procedure that supports families, supports people, especially with young children, and recognizes that there are these really powerful influences on how this is impacting parents in this country. In this country, I'm referring to the United States because that's where I'm housed, obviously. Although this study points out it's it's certainly affecting families in Australia too. I was going to add something too. I, I was thinking about this as well, right? I wonder too if access to healthcare has an mm. effect on this as well, right? Like if I remember correctly, Australia has universal health care and in the United States, it's often tied to your job. Right. Right. And so like, I, I agree that this, the culture influences you like these expectations, especially in the United States around how men are viewed that they like through the prism of their job and women are viewed through all these prisms and should do all of these things. Well, and then that exacerbated by like, if somebody loses a job that's tied to their health care, you know, that could, you know, mm-hmm. exacerbate those symptoms, right? Like if you're like, mm-hmm. oh no, I lost my job and I could get COVID and I could be bankrupt because I got COVID. Right. That's a different conversation than, mm-hmm. oh, I lost my job. I've just got to, you know, like uh, we've got to keep going until we make, I mean, not, neither situation is great. Mm-hmm. I just mm-hmm. think that some of the policies that refl- are reflective of the culture of the United States could have an effect on this as well. No, I think that's really smart, especially if culturally it's being reinforced in many ways that you're the financial provider you're not just losing income if you're also losing healthcare coverage, not just for yourself, but for your entire family. And you have children you're taking care of. You're right. I think that's a really important point that wasn't assessed here, but definitely could be influencing the mental health of people losing these jobs for sure. Yeah. And I'm also curious how this might look within the United States state to state, right? Because uh, I think that as alluded to how COVID pandemic and kind of regulations have been enforced do differ state by state. Some states are hit harder at different Mm -hmm. time points during the pandemic. So looking Mm -hmm. at that would be something I would be very interested in. These different states and when numbers peak in a given state, what do we see, right? In September, we still there were still very few, it was almost still the the coastal cities that were really peaking in September, right? We didn't see peaking here in Tennessee really until late fall. And also, granted, of course, I know these are all preliminary studies. These are just Mm -hmm. such interesting findings that it makes me curious about other things. Yeah, right, Um, right, right. I'm very interested in the socioeconomic stratification right? And how it might Mm -hmm. impact different classes of people, right? Mm -hmm. Middle class versus a working class, because there are certain groups of people Mm -hmm. in particularly our country who have never had a reprieve from work, who have never been able to work from home. They are our frontline workers. They are the people who are providing us food and services, health care services as well, who haven't had that luxury, if you want to call it that, of being able to work from home. 
home. So how does any changes in childcare impact mm-hmm. those people differently from people who can work mm-hmm. at home? Gendered influences within that as mm-hmm. well. Well, there's definitely what you're describing. A lot of those sectors are predominantly jobs held by women. So mm-hmm. those are the jobs being cut and those are the jobs that influence how we take care of our kids because we don't have a break. I mean, it's it's definitely going to compound what you're describing. I think those are two things that are really interesting. So they did capture income in this study and for dads in families where they reported making less than 40,000 US dollars, that was significantly associated with dad's anxiety, which you can certainly understand significantly associated with worse sleep for dads. That was specific to the United States. So you saw some of those effects too in Australia, where greater income was significantly related to better mental health. You're exactly right. I think there's some interesting socioeconomic flavors. And Mm -hmm. also that's going to be, that's going to intersect with some of this gender role stuff that we're talking about for sure. I also am, I'm somewhat curious about, I know a lot of other, you know, Western countries like Canada and the UK and a lot of European countries, especially when going into lockdown, consistently have provided some sort of monthly stipend to people in their in their country, which we have not done consistently at all in, in mm-hmm. the U.S. I'm not really sure what Australia's policy is, but I know New mm-hmm. Zealand did something similar. So I also am curious about how federal aid in terms mm-hmm. of income just to pay for food and, and rent might also be impacting these job loss. And if that might be reflective in some of the differences that we're seeing. Yeah, it's a really, it's a really interesting question for sure. And if those policies were implemented, do we end up seeing meaningful shifts in gender norms over time in terms Mm -hmm. of what people are not only able to cope with in terms of their mental health, but also what they're able to pick up at home without costs to their stress and, and their physical health. Fantastic study. I can't, I'm very curious about the droves and droves of research that's going to come out yeah, as yeah, we me too. learn more about this pandemic, how it's affected families and, and marriages yeah. and our mental and, and physical health, because we know that it has certainly impacted many people's physical and mental health, but that added component of family life on top of that mm. will be very fascinating. Woohoo! Boo! Finally, time for good or bad advice, where we talk about pervasive relationship advice in our culture. You hear relationship advice from parents, family, friends. We see advice about how to be in these relationships from movies and TV. And we read endless advice spewed at us on all of the social medias, blogs, and numerous top 10 lists. But surprise, surprise. A lot of it just actually isn't good for our relationship. This is the part of the show when we use science, mind you, to decide if the advice is good or bad. If you have seen or heard some advice you'd like us to talk about, send it to us. Email us at attachedpodcast at gmail.com or get at us on the Twitter, the Instagram, the Facebook at attached podcast, or just, you know, go to attachedpodcast.com and send us a message. We'll read it and be so excited to hear from you. While you're on the world wide web, please rate, review, and subscribe to our podcast on your favorite podcast app or YouTube, then share it with your family members. You know, just send those mass emails to family members, the link of attached podcast, you know, they're going to love it. So today we are going to send mass emails anymore. They do, but they do it only in related to, to how they send a podcast. They yeah. don't send it like on their phone, like the typical way. They create mass emails 
their oh. whole just their whole address book just send them out yeah attached to y'all <laughs> yeah, that's definitely what i do um <laughs> I guess not, though. So today we're going to talk about some advice we have seen, discovered on the social medias. This first one. So the first one is on Instagram. And so often we talk about signs of a good relationship, what to look for in a good, healthy relationship. But at Mind Body Green on Instagram lists several signs that your relationship might be over. So we're going to talk about a couple of those that Mind Body Green lists. Of course, as always, we'll do a link to this Instagram post, and they actually go over twenty signs that your relationship might be over. We're not going to go through all of them. So many signs, <laughs> so many signs. So you know, read into all of those really, really deeply. First off, mm. are you guys ready? <laughs> Did you hear me? I got got nervous there. (laughs) Everything they do bothers you. Good or bad advice. (laughs) This is, and just to clarify, this is if the relationship is over. It says your 20 signs, your relationship might be over. Might be over. Okay. Well, I don't think... So short-term, long-term to understand this advice, if everything they do bothers you for a considerable amount of time, you may be in this zone of contempt, Mm. right? Where you find everything they do irritating, frustrating, you have the sense of, I don't like them as a person. That is a good sign that your relationship, if not over, is in deep trouble. So talk about contempt, where that research comes from real quick. Mm. I'm sure we talked about it. Yeah, that's one of the four horsemen of the apocalypse that right. John Gottman talks about. And when you say it, you have to say it four horsemen of right. the apocalypse. You have to say it really intensely. Okay. I'm sure that's how he so, intended it. So <laughs> contempt is one of the four horsemen of the apocalypse. Is that good? <laughs> good. Yeah? I got chills. Uh, so contempt is this idea that you, I mean, really kind of like, you just find your partner disgusting, annoying. You don't like them. It's the next step before the final horse of the apocalypse, (laughs) which is like shutting down or tuning your partner out and not being present with them at all. And and one of the real hallmarks of contempt is not that you find them annoying, but you also think you're better than them. Oh yes, that's right. A good, so you put good yourself point. above them. You think you are better than them. You see, look at them below. And contempt is really thought of as like a poison in in relationships, not just marriages, but all relationships. When you start to think that you're better than people, <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's something so, we do not recommend doing here at Touched. <laughs> if if that's the case, yes, your relationship might be over and or you probably need to go to couples therapy rather quickly. Short term. Run, don't walk to couples therapy. (laughs) Run, don't walk to couples therapy. Short term, I hope it's not a sign. If you all know, I can be a lot. Like, and Chelsea has lived with me. Basically, we don't see anybody else. And so (laughs) there are days definitely when I am just an annoying person. Like, And she'll tell me like today you're just grading against me. I just need some space. Right. And so in other words, you know, if it's a short-term thing where everything your partner does is just annoying, it may just be you've spent too much time together. You need some space, you need some distance. So your relationship isn't necessarily over. Everybody needs that. Right. I like that caveat. Yeah. So long-term contempt is going to cause the apocalypse. (laughs) Short-term it's normal happens even in the best relationships. Am I quantifying myself as in the best relationship? Yes. Yes, I am. 
<laughs> science, science, science. Science. <laughs> I declare okay, I'm in so, the best relationship. Jacob, I think you're saying that this is. <laughs> I declare best relationship. <laughs> uh, that was a reference to the office for you. What? It was. Yes, I declare bankruptcy. Love it. So, Jacob, I am going to say that you're saying. I'm going to say you're saying that this is good advice yes, within the context of, of short or long term. Yes, I, I can agree with that. What's good or bad advice? So I'm going to take it in just a little bit of a different direction. Can since I, I think Jacob, Jacob did such a nice job covering he's in the best relationship. And also this <laughs> might you. not mean your relationship's totally over. <laughs> you're welcome. Uh, Thank you. It sounds I'm like glad I did a good, well, <laughs> a good job reflecting. That's yeah. That's the the second like that's the replication study because you've seen my relationship. You're like the best. That's right. The, the best. best. Amazing. Oh They're God. kicking army crawl. Hey, <laughs> uh, you guys are such I, nerds talking about replication studies. Oh my god. <laughs> oh, I like it. If you think about this from the perspective of maybe being irritable, when I read everything that they do bothers you, it also makes me curious about how irritable the person is that's saying that. And irritability and maybe feeling kind of easily annoyed and can be signs of sometimes depression, depression right? low mood. And I think what Jacob is saying is kind of evaluating how frequent is this? How current is this? How tied to this, like to your quarantine status is this, et cetera. <laughs> but if this is happening frequently, many days of the week, if this is happening in other relationships too, if you're feeling kind of yeah. irritable and everything they do bothers you, it might not be a sign that your relationship is over. It might be a sign that you're depressed. And sometimes this is how this shows up first for people is that being in relationships with people is really kind of tricky and challenging because they don't really, they feel down and they feel kind of out of it and sort of like hopeless and they don't really have interest in a lot of things and they're irritable. So the reason that this would be really important, run, do not walk thyself to therapy is what I think. <laughs> definitely said the word thy. I definitely thy. Did you? I hope so. <laughs> oh, you didn't. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> For those of you watching YouTube, you can see she shook her head and laughed at me. But depression is a predictor of relationship dissolution. So when it yep. isn't addressed, that is something yeah. that becomes a sign your relationship could eventually be over if you're if you don't take care of that. And so that's where I would say this is a good thing to highlight as something that's important for relationships. I think it's bad advice that your relationship might be over just because everything that they're doing is sort of bothering you or irking you. It could mean lots of different things. Yes. And I like that you guys have both wonderfully contextualized this in two different ways. One, inventory on yourself. Maybe this is an indication of some depressive symptoms, but also within what stage of the relationship you are. How long-term has this sense of bothering been? I think both of those are really important to contextualize this when you first notice everything that you're doing is bothering me. Next, you daydream about being single. Good or bad advice, a sign that your relationship might be over. I'm going to say on the fence advice. Uh, we haven't had one of these in a while. He's been, he's been doing so good. 
I know I couldn't I couldn't help with this one, right? Because I think that there's a difference, like in some respects, if you are daydreaming the fact that you're like scrolling old partners on Facebook and oh. sending them messages and like, you know, leaving your partner without like telling you where they're going or, you know, like if I'm like, just don't come home at night. Like if you're engaging in those types of behaviors that are basically saying, I want to break up with you, but I don't want to tell you that. I think your relationship might be over. I don't think that like daydreaming in the sense of like, oh, you know, it was really nice before I had a kid when I could sleep eight hours through the night, right? Like that doesn't mean I don't want my kid around. It just means that there was a time when that was different and I miss a little bit of that. But missing something doesn't mean that you necessarily want something to be different. You can miss the fact that when you were single, you were able to, you know, do whatever you wanted and spend your money however you want. But that doesn't necessarily mean that you would switch your relationship, right? Right. So I think thinking about those things that you miss in that sense of daydreaming is different than creating active. Yeah. Yeah. Creating plans, you know, that type of thing. So again, maybe like the first one, it's good advice, depending on the context, depending on what type of behavior, where you are out in your relationship and what this daydreaming looks like. Okay. So fence advice from Jacob daydreaming about being single. It just kind of depends on what those daydreams are about. If you're daydreaming about doing the nasty with an ex, maybe maybe that is a sign. If you're daydreaming of just thinking, Oh, you know, there's some things that I miss, but also still being mindful and appreciative of what you have and not willing to give that up. That is different. What's, what do you think? Good or bad advice? It's interesting. I think it is bad advice, probably for the same reasons that Jacob's describing. I'm not sure what I, how I would say what science says about this though. I don't know that like, at least the language about like daydreaming about being single, like from the perspective of like fantasy and how it impacts relationships. I I see the research around like eligible others or a oh yeah like that for sure research is what yeah I'm for about. sure yes that is see you should just you should just jump ahead you should cut us both off and said i'm just gonna declare what this advice is and <laughs> I it declare. is right. <laughs> i, I declare, declare good advice i think similar to jacob my brain went first towards like fantasizing and that that's not necessarily problematic for relationships. If you're doing a lot of comparing like what's really in front of me versus like my ideal and spending more time maybe kind of fantasizing and then pursuing other options in ways that maybe start subtle, but you know, quickly advance, that is a sign, not that your relationship might be over, but that you are contributing to the dissolution of your relationship. Mm, And or maybe that's your soft exit, right? We've talked about that before, that these, that sometimes people who know that they want to break up can kind of languish in those relationships for many months past the point where they have decided this is probably, this is not a relationship I'm going to stay in long-term and I'm going to end this soon. I'm still in it now and I'm in it until Christmas. But but so I think I would say in the context I first interpreted, I'm not sure that research would say like occasional daydreaming about your relationship status is problematic. It's those other pieces and certainly the alternatives piece is really smart, Patricia. That's that that does start to get concerning. Yeah. So the the uh, possible alternatives, I don't think that's the exact phrase, is, is basically you start thinking that there are people out there that are better than my current partner. And I can have, not only that, but I also can have access to them. Um, that's I can have when access you, to them 
Yeah. And the quality of this relationship is right. not that great. Yeah. That's a, that's a really, those signs combined. All signs Relationships are over. Yeah. Your relationship might be over. Okay. Uh, I'm going to let you guys choose your own adventure for this one. Either Ooh. two more, but we're only, you're only going to allow to eat, choose one. So here we go. And you guys can choose different ones, which, you know, prerogative. Your prerogative. As the kids say. Their presence drains you or oh. you avoid each other. You choose one, good or bad advice. Their presence drains you, you avoid each other. I'm going to go with their presence drains you. <laughs> How exciting. I had no idea what you were going to choose. You and Lee didn't. I just said it like that. So before I went in on the advice, I'm going to kind of draw on what we said before, right? Like that similar to long lines of irritability, I think what Sarah was saying about depression, right? Being among people might like just sap your energy or maybe you're just like not feeling that. Again, maybe it's a sign of depression, anxiety symptoms, that that type of thing to be aware of. But I also, so setting that aside, I think this is good advice when you just feel like you have to take care of your partner, right? When I feel like draining, it feels like they don't have their shit together yeah. and I've got to do everything. I've got to take care of this. We, we call this kind of like a over-functioning, under-functioning relationship where mm. one person is doing everything, taking care of everything. And the other one just kind of was like, oh yeah, I, I can't do this. This is not, you know, thank you so much. Uh, or I just deserve this or whatever they might be doing. And, you know, those types of relationships tend to get entrenched in this pattern where the person who's doing everything does experience that feeling of being drained. Yeah. And so that can be a place of contention, right? Because they're saying, well, why don't you do anything? But I don't really trust you to do anything either. And it creates this atmosphere, this pattern that can be really toxic in relationships. So in that context, I'm going to say good advice. Good advice. Woods, what was your yeah, adventure? I, I will choose the same adventure okay. just for consistency's Ooh. sake. Oh. <laughs> It was just join me on my journey. That's right. <laughs> do, 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 do. And I would say the same thing. That is probably a more concerning description of a relationship. Draining is a really kind of intense way to describe my experience of being with this other person. And I mean, we've talked before about the importance of like sharing interests together, trying new things together, and finding enjoyment and joy and gratitude. And those things are all the opposite of mm. feeling drained, those positive pieces of being together and how you can grow your relationship and expand your relationship together are all predictors of relationship satisfaction and relationship success. But the opposite of, of feeling like when I'm with them, I feel like I lose my energy and I'm tired my, yeah, and my zest for life and whatever, however you might describe it. I don't currently have a zest for life. Is that a thing that people use? I don't know. Is that what the, the young kids do the young kids say that? Is that definitely young kids? Definitely. Definitely young kids. <laughs> so yeah, I mean bad. I mean, no, wait, good advice. Good, good advice that it's bad. Feeling drained really is bad. bad. Next, some advice from the TikTok, specifically some parenting advice slash self-care advice from at Dimita B79. This is self-care. So first of all, get out my business. Second of all, get out my business. Third of all, get out my business. All right. So good or bad advice. There's actually um, a couple of pieces of advice in there. So I'm going to kind of unpack this. First, I love Chick-fil-A's chicken nuggets. And <laughs> okay. given, the first place uh, it goes. 
I, I actually like want some right now. Like I, I always feel, uh, yeah, they're closed on Sunday. The owner of Chick-fil-A has some problematic views on our LGBTQ friends and family. So I try to avoid getting those chicken nuggets when I can. So ca- that caveat aside. Okay. Just FYI, I didn't think the takeaway was going to be Chick-fil-A from sure. TikTok. No, but I, I'm here for here. it. I really yeah, like sure. it. Yep. First of all, like if you leave your kids at home and they are properly taken care of or can watch after themselves, sure. that's good advice. Like you can't be on in any capacity, let alone a parent all the time. You need some space from that. And second, as long as you are within parenting norms and not putting anything, your child in danger, get out of their business, right? You don't know the context of what they're experiencing. They can't weigh in on how you parent or how you should parent. You know, those two things, as long as the kids are healthy, safe, then there can be some flexibility in that parenting that people shouldn't weigh in on. Like, (laughs) stay out of her business. Yeah, stay out of her business. So good advice. Good advice from Jacob Woods. Good advice. I agree. I'm going to focus on the self-care is necessary piece. We just talked about when the relationships you have with people are draining. (laughs) That's a really bad thing. Being a parent can be a very draining experience. And those aren't relationships that hopefully most of us exit. That is, we need to be sustaining our mental health and our well-being because our children rely on us for so many things. And what we do know and science has repeatedly demonstrated is that moms being stressed, parents being stressed, but especially moms and maternal depression as an extension of that have extreme negative impacts on kids' health and development, their own mental health and well-being, their internalizing, their externalizing behavior, their physical health. That is all strongly associated with parents' high levels of distress, and especially when don't mitigate that early enough on, and that translates into depression. That has huge negative outcomes for kids. So if nuggets is what it takes to take care of yourself, go find thyself. Walk. Do not run. Get thyself some nuggets. Get thyself some nuggets. So good advice from both Jacob and Sarah. Next, we talk a lot on this show about boundaries. Here is some advice slash a perspective on boundary setting from I'm Lena J on TikTok. The only people who get upset when you set boundaries are the ones that benefited from you having none. What are we thinking? Good or bad advice? I'm going to say bad advice. And the reason why I'm going to say this. (laughs) All right. Right. I, yes, it's true that people, when you, uh, like people who haven't respected boundaries are going to get upset when you set them, but also your boundaries in the context of your relationship change across the life course. In other words, just because you had a certain boundary at a certain time means that it may change or be different later on, right? Like transitioning into a romantic relationship and away from your family of origin, right? Your parents might have some frustration about that, but that doesn't mean that they haven't respected your boundary before. It means that you're in a developmental time period where there might be tension in the shifting of your boundaries. Also, you know, I, I think when they come to kind of like, you know, I don't think she's taking it that complex because I do think too, it's good advice that when you set boundaries, sometimes you're going to make people mad and that doesn't mean you should change your boundaries. But just because you change your boundaries and somebody's upset doesn't mean that they didn't respect your boundaries to begin with. It means that they're adapting to the new boundary that is in place. And that could take some time. So because of that, bad advice. Okay, so bad advice because it, 
people who are upset with your boundary setting, it's because they're adapting to the new boundary, not because they were benefiting from your lack of boundary setting previously. Not always, right? Like okay. it could be like boundary shift from when you're a kid, your relationship with your parents is going to look different at time points. And that relationship doesn't all those boundary changes don't always go smoothly. So it's not that they didn't respect your boundary before. It need, means that they need to developmentally shift, right? The problem I have with sometimes when we talk about boundaries is it's only about no's. Like I just set this boundary and then right. you get angry. But good boundaries are no's and yeses and respecting those no's and yeses and being able to navigate that developmentally is important. I'm dying on this hill. I'm dying on this hill. You are. No, be it. Do it. Be that hill. You are the hill. So bad advice from Jacob Woods. Good or bad advice? Yeah, I think I would say bad advice also, even though I agree. I know. (laughs) I love this one so much. My heart is breaking. Go on. Use your science, you mad, badly skilled therapist. I agree with Jacob that when you are in relationships with people where maybe your boundaries have become more lax than you would otherwise want them to be, and you start to maybe set boundaries and kind of navigate that relationship in a way that's different, that you you might definitely get pushback about that. Yeah. But okay. also I'm thinking about, for example, like setting boundaries with kids, right? That Kids benefit from your having boundaries and also they're still going to get mad when you set them. So there are so many different ways in which understanding how to set healthy boundaries, how that may change over time and how that looks different in different relationships makes this advice way too simplified. And I think ends up trying to cleverly highlight the issue is really with the other person, not you for finally setting a boundary, but it sounds like it ends up kind of blaming the person for well, you never really had boundaries in the first place. And and I'm sure that's not the goal, but it's sort of why I don't like it. And okay. why I don't think it's very uh, I definitely appreciate both of y'all's, the developmental point of view, the long-term, the dyadic point of view, and especially the yes and no perspective of boundaries means both. I think why this resonated with me so well is sometimes boundaries are very difficult for people to set because they fear anger from other people. Mm -hmm. So sometimes when you have in your mind the rationale as to why people are getting upset, it's because it's in these kind of extreme relationships that they were able to take advantage of you for so for so long. So that's why they're getting upset. Why I liked it is because it helps provide or alleviate that guilt sometimes that I feel about setting boundaries with family, with friends, and these are adult relationships. Surprisingly, I have no problem setting boundaries with my children. Uh, Rules are really easy for me to (laughs) implement and maintain, which could be problematic later on, but that's another story. Never mind. Anyway, but I think having that perspective sometimes helps because it's not a you issue, right? There are certain people in your life who do benefit from you having lax boundaries. And the reason why they get mad at you is because they're no longer able to take advantage of that. They're not necessarily malicious people in your life, but it's just how the relationship was structured. That doesn't mean you should avoid setting those boundaries. It just means that it might be hard and those boundaries are necessary and important to protect yourself and the other person might get mad, but 
that's the reason why. So I think that's why I resonated with it so much. I think I was thinking more of extremer relationships where there is a a notable imbalance in uh, power or a notable imbalance in thinking about those highly over and under functioning relationships Mm -hmm. is what I was thinking about. So bad advice, you guys make sense, but also shockingly, I feel like I make sense too. Finally, we're going to talk about some life advice passed down from mother to daughter. Here is Just for King Edith on TikTok. What's a piece of life advice someone has given you that has stuck with you throughout the years? I remember one day I was complaining to my mom how I was annoyed that my friends only hit me up when they need me. And um, I'll never forget what she said. She said, don't be upset when people remember you only when they need you. I want you to feel privileged that you're like a candle that comes to their mind when there's darkness. Until this day that has stuck with me. I don't get mad anymore. So good or bad advice. This is a little interesting, right? Because I do feel like I I like that reframe of like being a candle that people think about when they, you know, they need something like that's That's interesting. Like it's really good description, but I think the problematic message underneath is the fact that this seems to be a very lopsided relationship, right? You know, like I want somebody to be a candle in my mind when I need help, but also that I'm in their mind and we have others that we think of. There's like a whole fire going on where it's like a medieval banquet with just candles everywhere. Right. Like the, and, and I, can see how this could be especially problematic advice when given to women because mm-hmm. historically and currently the idea is that women are the emotional caretakers and will they could be there when you need them and they don't really need anything else they just want to take care of people and that's where it's problematic so i i appreciate the attempt at reframing but i i feel like that can be like a beautiful like a terrible message wrapped in beautiful language. So yeah. I'm going to say bad advice, even though I appreciate the poetry of it. We like the poetry. Bad advice. Woods. Bad advice. I don't, I don't even like the poetry. of it. I thought it was very soothing. Oh, that's so nice. All I heard was that candles just burn out and eventually mm. there's Fair. no wax left. And that actually happens pretty quickly, at least with the cheap candles I buy. <laughs> so, <laughs> So I think that it is fine if it is a reframe to say, look how helpful you are to your friends and look what a bright light you are in their life, that they trust you and ask you for help when things get especially hard. But what she said was that it really upsets me that the only time I come to my friend's mind is when they need something and they need my help. Mm -hmm. That is very um, one-sided. And it's a legitimate feeling. You are allowed to feel sad, frustrated, used when your friends only come to you when they need something. Right. And I don't really want to reframe that away. I sort of want to validate that like that's that that's a really important reaction to be listening to because what does it say about those friendships and maybe those are the friends who benefit from you having zero boundaries 
So walk, no wait, run, don't walk to get thyself some boundaries because <laughs> you almost totally burned out. Yeah, you're right. Candles burn out. There's a very famous song from Elton John about candles candles in the wind. Well, there's also a famous song by Andy Dwyer. Who? That also. (laughs) Oh, I finally understand a pop culture reference. Go finish it. Finish it. (laughs) It's about your your 10,000 candles in the wind. You need to you need to watch Parks and Rec. PR, and then you would be left Andy along Dwyer with this. from Pat. No. <laughs> right. I, finally, I finally got one, guys. <laughs> Yay. Yay. One for Sarah. As always, thank you for listening to Attached. Remember, call us, email us, get at us on all the social medias about any relationship advice you have received and you're wondering whether to follow or pass on. We cannot wait to talk about it. 